All right, welcome everybody. Uh, Thirsty Thursday number 34. I think this is the first time in a long time that we've had the entire cast on right at the beginning and um, ready to go. So hopefully that's a good sign for tonight. I know I'm excited for uh, tonight's conversation, um, and I'm always excited to get a chance to hang out and chat with um, Trevor, Mike, and Bobby. So first off, cheers, gentlemen. It's always good to see you. Cheers, boys. Um, so, um, uh, as you guys know, Mike, uh, Mike Wood, uh, uh, is joining us again. He's been on a couple times before talking about, uh, training in volunteering combination and career departments and how to make that work. Uh, we talked about RIT. Um, Mike has a wealth of information, uh, works on, uh, a, a larger or a big, uh, metropolitan metropolis, big city fire department across the bridge, um, in Western Maryland. So we're going to kind of lean on him tonight for a little bit more insight as the basement fires. Uh, whereas Trevor, Bobby and I on the Eastern shore, we don't have a whole lot of basements. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the experiences that we've had, um, fighting fires below us. Um, but when we talk about basements, um, and cellars in, um, underground fires, like I said, we're going to lean more on Mike tonight. So, um, with that being said, let's get started. Um, who wants to kind of take the reins and, and lead us here? I'll go for it. All right, guys. Um, thanks for everybody coming on. Like Ben was saying, uh, some of us Eastern Shore folks are sometimes less than useless on a basement fire just because our water table is so high in that general region that basements are a little bit of an anomaly. Um, that's not to say that I think a lot of the stuff that Mike's going to talk about tonight uh, will translate very well. And this is where I hope some people, even if you're in those regions of the country that might not have a lot of basements, um, Ocean City, for example, we had a few sublevels. We spent a lot of time uh, in some of those dungeon sublevels of some of the old downtown hotels uh, underneath the boardwalk, but also shipboard firefighting. When we go to the commercial fishing harbor on the trawlers and clamors, and you've got one way in, one way out, no real point of ventilation. Um, it's kind of like, in my mind, it's a floating basement. So some of the tactics might be the same that we can translate this. Um, but again, I always look at experience as being just as much of an asset as it is a limitation. So uh, that's why I'm really looking forward to hearing what um, you know, Mike has to say. I know, Bobby, you've had a few experiences um, up in Delaware with, uh, you know, like I think walkout basements and then certainly in Salisbury, you have more prevalence of sublevels, cellars and basements, but also um, looking forward to hearing just some terminology to get us on the same page. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, Bobby, let me kick it over to you and then we'll get to our guest of honor, Mr. Mike Wood. Cool. Um, yeah. Welcome everybody. And thanks Mike for showing up with us. Um, it's uh, we, we live so close to the, uh, the, the ocean that our water tables are really high so basements are very very uh, unfamiliar for us matter of fact we <laughs> we have to fight about whether or not what floor is the first floor because of all the stuff half our stuff's on piling um so we go through kind of a, a different problem with that so i think that we could translate some of this to working over top of the fire floor so if you're doing search and rescue or you're doing things and there's fire below you um, I think we need to really talk about uh, what ventilation there is in a basement fire uh, versus a first floor fire or things like that. But um, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and um, it's going to be a fun time tonight. Uh, I have some things I want to talk about, about studies in general, 
and uh, focuses or uh, expected results on studies that I think messes things up a little bit some. Um, and so when I talk about those things, it's not representing my fire department or any fire department. Uh, it's representing me, what I think about it from uh, uh, 32 years of studying fire science and, and kind of uh, being overly optimistic about what the new fire studies meant. So, uh, Ben, you want to do a little entry yourself? No, I'm good. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I did the welcome. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, it's awesome to be a part of this again, and um, the show's been really beneficial. I think I've heard a lot of uh, good feedback from it, and uh, I'm very proud to be here. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll preface I think whole uh, whole show with uh, a quote that uh, I heard from arguably one of the best pipe men in Baltimore City, and um, I spoke with him just, uh, just recently, and uh, he said, anyone that says, I want a good basement fire has never had a true basement fire uh, because it's not something that any company wants, be it uh, engine, truck, or RIT team, uh, especially an incident commander. And uh, I think we, we, can, we can say that it, that, that quote spans all the disciplines of firefighting just because of the company that is put on every crew that there's, uh, again, whether it's your engine company, your truck, uh, or your rich team. So that's something uh, I think that feeds us in you know, the, the, the status of the, of the whole conversation from here. And I, I, I took some time to break it down according to those disciplines when we talk about some of the things and some of the problems that exist as it pertains to an engine, a truck, and to, uh, the RIT team. And I, I focus heavy on that bit because basement fires incur a very, very large number of Mayday transmissions. So, And we know that to be true from the numerous deaths that occur all over the country due to basement fires. So it, it doesn't necessarily RIT activation. Uh, however, RIT is crucial in uh, prep for for a basement fire and, and anything that it could possibly bring with it. I, I've kind of taken the time to outline all those things. So, you know, we hit on any of those different points uh, wherever you guys yeah, and, and Mike, one of the things um, I'd really like for you to hit on uh, sometime during the course of this is, you know, obviously, uh, as we get further in this conversation, we're going to talk about the technical differences between a basement and a cellar, so forth and so on. But from a RIP perspective, which I know you put a lot of time and effort in not only, you know, teaching and training on that, but also, you know, doing the research and development to try to make that better. Uh, you know, that's an area where we don't have the benefit of being able to breach a wall to an adjacent room. Or um, you know if it's an if it's an unfinished basement, we might not be able to use a kick and crawl technique to get up to a window, uh, and those types of things. So, you know, with with that being said, what right off the bat, what what are some of the biggest challenges? Unlike you know fighting fire on the first uh, residential floor or floors above, what are some of the special considerations that maybe that first in crew or that first in company officer really needs to put in the back of their mind when they're dealing with a basement? I think from a, from a standpoint for, for a blanket 
uh, standpoint for any company that's arriving is going to be your initial size up. That has to be extremely thorough and great care has to be given to it, especially between the hours of midnight and and dawn, just for the simple fact that visibility is has been negated. So the size up uh, is crucial, along with trying to get some form or fashion of a 360. Now that 360 doesn't necessarily have to come from your first arriving officer on alpha side. If you have companies converging that are assigned to the rear, then uh, you know you can you can always stand by for that as you uh, progress. But the, attempting to get a 360 is, is to success uh, situation like that. And I think that that's also been shown. If you read a lot of the NIOSH reports for our line of duty deaths that we've had, uh, and you know, we, when we say basement, one thing you know, as we were talking in the beginning, just uh, jurisdictional, uh, jurisdictional development construction. We might not all have basement, quote unquote. However, you know, I know down in Ocean City there is uh, crawl spaces, and those crawl spaces vary uh, in in height. So you might have some that are two feet, uh, and you might have some that are, are closer to four. Uh, falling into a crawl space that's four feet deep, you might as well have fallen into a basement. Uh, and we also have cellars. So you know, basements, crawl spaces, cellars. All these things uh, can be for us to mitigate. So that 360 is important for uh, for all of us, whether you're on an engine or a truck. Uh, and, and, of course, including uh, a component of setting up. So I think that that is the cornerstone, uh, the cornerstone of the fight, so to speak. Right. And something else, Mike, too. I mean, people use their basements for such a variety of purposes. Some of them are literally a subterranean storage unit or garage, with maybe with or without a vehicle, depending on you know, if it's a walkout or uh, how they modified it. And others are living areas. Um, yeah, and I know, especially like in 2008, we saw a lot of people that would start subdividing their private residences to rent out uh, a basement apartment. So um, sometimes there might not be an interior entrance to that basement it might all be exterior so uh you know bobby ben and mike i mean what are what are some of the things and yeah i appreciate you bringing up the crawl spaces too because that's a very valid point but what are some of those things where we don't know the uh, the occupancy use so to speak of that basement level or that sub seller level so um you know whether it's uh, an, a means of entry and egress through the interior of the structure or it might be exterior uh if these are private residences, how do we go about trying to figure that out from a, a 360 or a pre-planning or a size-up uh, you know, faction? Because unlike a, a multifamily dwelling where we might be able to go in and do a, a walkthrough, a pre-plan or an inspection, private dwellings, we don't have that ability. So what, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, um, I think... You know, I think crawl space, I think my last four fires or five fires have involved crawl spaces. So they're definitely a challenge because it's not, it's it's almost like a confined space with fire in it, basically. Um, but I think, you know, I, I guess what I want to say is why are we going to talk about this tonight? And, and I just want to read this to you guys. Um, you know, between 1998 and 2017, NIOSH had documented 24 below-grade fires and resulted in 32 fire deaths and 19 firefighter line of duty injuries. So 
uh, firefighters are definitely getting hurt or killed at a high rate in these below-grade fires. Um, you know, we just recently had one in Oklahoma City where uh, we had one go through the floor. So, um, and and I've seen probably, I've probably seen maybe I don't know four or five, and, and we don't have basements. So I'm sure that that other jurisdictions are seeing um, more of those. So I think, um, you know, I think it's, we all recognize the fact that it's really dangerous to operate above a fire, um, no matter where it is. Um, and I think basements are more scary to us um, because typically the problem is they're not protected uh, flooring assemblies. So essentially what happens is the majority of our basements or crawl spaces um, don't have any drywall. They don't have anything. They don't have any spray coating. They don't have anything to protect them. So essentially if you have a fire that occurs below grade um many times the, the flooring assembly becomes part of the fuel um it was made out of wood uh and that's kind of one of our issues that we run into is that um you know if you have a fire in the first floor of a house uh, it always has some kind of gypsum drywall something that covers it up and essentially that really protects that sub floor for the second floor let's just say uh, from something happening and many crawl spaces or basements don't have that protection. There are parts of the country that are actually requiring that any crawl space or basement has uh, sheetrock applied to it or some type of material applied to it to not allow that to happen. But the reality is we all know with grandfathering in that the, 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 the benefit of that is going to be long after we all retire <laughs> and kind of move on our way. So, um, I mean, I think, um, um, I think that it's just it, it's that unknown fire below. Uh, the only nugget that I can give that I think is really important is is reading the front door. And I think um, you know when you when you talk about reading the front door, if the fire is on the floor that you are, if you're opening up the front door, you force the front door, and you give it that first purge where everything comes out. If if the neutral plane which means where the smoke and things are coming out and the fresh air is going in is somewhere in that middle third the fire is probably on that floor um if you see a neutral plane where it goes up to the upper third of that door it's probably above you the second floor or something like that um, and if the neutral plane is on the bottom third you should be really really suspect that's below you you know because you're almost all on a ventilation exit kind of thing. So it just has to do with fire dynamics and how fires work and things like that. So that's, that's one thing. If you open that door up and you're getting ready and you're kind of getting your, your stuff together and you get ready to go into this place and it never goes above the third of the, the, the door, there's one of two things that are happening. <laughs> Either it's below you or it's a compartment you don't want to go in. Um, you know, it's one of those two things because it's just, if it's, it's generating enough heat smoke and things like that to drop to that third. It, it's just really almost flashing over. So, um, you know, one of the things I want to talk, to talk bounce off of you, Mike, is uh, talk to us about your policies. Um, and I know with the engine, we talk about hitting it from the exterior, from the, the coffin doors or whatever. And we'll talk, we'll certainly talk about it more here in a minute. But what are the truck company considerations um, just for um, search and rescue, your primary, um, and that kind of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what, what are your truck company considerations for when you think it's a basement fire? Uh, well, you know, again, that begins with the size of, and piggybacking on what you said, uh, that's one of the 
hotel for another that would be that big force uh, walk out in the rear or Bilco door uh, or cell doors would have and of course looking at uh, uh, one one major thing to, to keep in mind is older construction uh, the balloon style construction is that uh, opening the front door isn't really going to tell you anything uh, when you pull up and you actually Size up that size up that dwelling right away. You're likely to see uh, smoke pumping out of those eaves, and you could even see fire coming out of that uh, attic vent on the gable side. Uh, right away, you're going to think, "Well, wow, we have an attic fire; it's through the roof, or we have an upper floor fire." And uh, you know, you had balloon construction, so the whole time it was actually in the basement, and you didn't know it. So these companies go charging in and they go up the steps and uh, we, we immediately, the dominoes immediately start falling uh, for, for problems to occur at that point. So, you know, understanding, uh, of course, what you're looking at with the size up and finding all those little tells as you make your way around the dwelling. And then also understanding the construction of what you're walking in is uh or what you're about to walk into is is very important in understanding basement fires i think uh because we do know that a lot of a lot of those balloon construction uh style homes have caused us uh line of duty deaths in the past and they were basement fires so some of those line of duty deaths actually occurred in the attic but the fire itself started in the basement so how you classify that uh you know can up for argument but Still, nonetheless, you know, understanding that size up is important. Uh, and that pertains to the engine and the truck. And, yeah, just as you said, our, you know, an engine's uh, first plan of attack with a basement fire uh, is going to be a plan A. And a perfect in the perfect world would be being able to have exterior access. You know, one, if you can get through that through the exterior, get to that fire through the exterior, whether it's a walkout or whether it's a Bilco door, that would be ideal. Um but we all know that that doesn't happen. And this is a very, very time sensitive thing because of uh, what we're dealing with. Uh, the first floor big Jeopardy. We know that we have uh, interior staircase leading to that basement. The fire is nothing but lateral movement. So we are getting a burn through for uh, much that that fire could travel in the normal foot so you know these are all things that we want to try to find out in that size up um so we know that that would be plan a uh now how does that relate to truck company operations well uh for a truck you know the one thing you want to do is be able to gain access immediately if you do have some type of exterior uh access through bilco doors or through a walkout you want to gain access right away what's problematic about that is that Usually those doors, uh, even more so than your front door, are reinforced heavily. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, if you're if you're going after Bilco doors, a truck might have pulled up and walked up with a set of irons. Uh, not easily defeated sometimes with Bilco doors. So having the proper tools uh, is very important for a truck company to, to try to gain access to either a rear walkout 
knowing that you might be dealing with a uh, with a metal door or uh, another material that's stronger than just your regular wood. And then, of course, multiple locks, slide bolts, deadbolts. Uh, they're they're more heavily reinforced. So, bringing your tool cache to the to the uh, to the show is very important. You don't want to have to return to the rig to try to pull something else off. And again, going back to how time sensitive basement fires are, that's very important for a truck company. Uh, now, as far as being able to search, you know, dumping into a house where, uh, let's say, you know, balloon construction or maybe not being aware of, of that fire location like that, you know, you're also on the clock. And in Baltimore, you know, we do do things uh, according to our, our, our operating procedures and uh, sending your truck companies, you know, your officer usually goes through the front door on Alpha side. And uh, you have an officer, a truck officer in the rear going through the first floor uh, on the Charlie side. So you have guys making access initially into that first floor right away. Um, and, you know, we're, you're, you're searching, but your searches are streamlined in that sense because of you, you understanding the severity of, of what's going on below you. Uh, obviously, the proper tools are very important in this situation. And for those guys, it would be a thermal imaging camera. Um, and understanding, you know, all their orientation on the inside. Uh, you know, if our engine's coming in too, you want to recognize where that staircase is. And we all know that, you know, the majority of staircases end up in the middle of home somewhere. Uh, those staircases, although they might be ascending to second and third floors, we also know that the majority of the time, somewhere in the vicinity of that staircase on the first floor, you will locate basement access if there is on the interior. So that's something to keep in mind in zero visibility. If you can locate the staircase as it ascends, then as you work around that area, you should locate basement access. Uh, a thermal imaging camera would be would be paramount in that situation. But, uh, you know, some of our ranchers uh, or, or just, uh, of course, single story homes uh, you know, usually we're going to find basement access and it's important to understanding your jurisdiction, of course, but your basement access a lot of times is going to be located in the near or in the large living space or kitchen area. So, you know, that's something also keep in mind. And a lot of this goes into orientation and, and knowing, uh, knowing the, uh, the construction style uh, of, of the home we're going Hey, Mike, real, real quick, um, and I'm thinking back to this, where when my grandmother was uh, still living, she lived in a row home up there on the uh, west side of Baltimore. And other than when you go in the front door, do you all communicate to each other? Because in, in like her case, you know, a typical row home that you uh, you went up, you went up the, uh, the, the little mound in the front. And when you when you went in the front door, that was the first living area. And then her kitchen living room bathroom everything else was down in the basement level which was kind of a upward walkout if that makes sense but the upstairs the what i would call the second or maybe even third living floor of that structure was a completely separate so when you went in the front door there was a foyer with an entry door to the upstairs an entry door straight ahead to in and down so how do you how do you tell the difference between maybe a a full basement to second or third floor place or one that's been split to, you know, obviously the landlords make more money if they can, 
you know, split those. So how, how do you communicate that on the fire ground? Or how do you know that if you were the truck company that came in the rear of the building uh, and made entry into that uh, basement level in the kitchen? How do you, how do you know? Uh, you know, a lot of that goes back to the, the size up transmission. So, you know, your size up initially is going to come from your first driving company front. And that's going to be either a, a course or truck. Now, the companies that are converging in the rear also have to understand that you're doing a size up as well. So when you hear in the front, we have a two story with fire showing first floor in the rear. When you pull up and companies are there. If you see three stories, if fire showing on your first floor, then that means right away that that fire's in the basement. Uh, whereas on the alpha side, the fire has extended to the first floor, but those crews are actually, you know, they're actually walking into uh, fire that's below them. So a lot of that is the back and forth that needs to occur, of course, in our communications. But one standard that we try to usually operate by is that if a line, if our attack line is going through the front door on alpha side and crews are already on the interior, they essentially, um, they have dominance on that fire as, as, as it begins. Now a chief might say, go ahead and back out. We're going to take this from the rear. We have access, but they are initially allowed to make that attack. And rightfully so, because, uh, and this is an argument for another day when we talk about the movement of fire as uh, when uh, when hose lines are involved. But one thing's for sure is that fire does move with ver- with uh, horizontal and vertical ventilation. So as we open the front door, as it maybe auto exposes in the rear, uh, you know, we are changing the dynamic of the situation, and that's something that has to be taken into account. So. A lot of times when that company does go through the front, we allow them some attack time to see if they're making progress before we back them out and go ahead and, and go after it in the rear if it if it looks more beneficial. So um, it, it's a big communication um, a reliance on communication, should I say. Uh, and that's an important thing. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in other jurisdictions where you only make necessary transmissions on fire. We don't need a lot of that. Um, unnecessary jargon, unnecessary updates that, that companies make, especially as it pertains to a basement fire because of, uh, you know, just because of the likelihood of having some type of, of issue. Thanks, Mike. That, that clears up a lot of stuff um, because like you said, uh, between the 360, the initial brief initial report and that, you know, essential communication, uh, you know, unlike some departments, we've all been through it with specific individuals. But, you know, if you could turn radio transmissions into water flow, you you know, never have a, uh, you know, fire that got beyond the, the basic stage. Sometimes we try to talk the fire out. But, Bobby, I know uh, from a training perspective, uh, you know, you're a very numbers based guy, database guy and empirical data. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you you'll take the you'll do the sweat equity and you'll read through these things and ask the ask the important questions um i want to get your thoughts on that but before i do one thing that's been bothering me i got to ask you i don't know what you got going on behind you but i don't know if it's like cinnamon's getting ready to come up on the main stage or what um, i can't really tell what's going on there but uh you, you got you got some flashing lights i'm just waiting very nice 
very all, nice wow, wow music, very so. nice halloween lights out here trevor that's all i got going on man brother it's your story you live in a nice neighborhood you, you felt the way you want to i'm getting older man <laughs> the days of one dollar goes are gone hey but hey but real quick jack fisher said if you really want to mess with them get two, go to the bank and get two dollar bills they don't know whether to be grateful because you gave more than a buck or they're confused because it wasn't 20 so I want to know how to use Venmo. That's what. That's my question for our viewers. You're you're asking the wrong dude, brother. You know that. But okay, <laughs> oh, Bobby, oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm glad you asked, Trevor. Um, so I've spent my entire career kind of studying fire science. So that's thirty. I don't know, thirty four years, whatever the hell it's been. Thirty four years, I guess. Um, and and I'm really interested in it. I'm very very interested in it. And I was very excited when a lot of money got infused into fire research, um, more specifically in the ventilation impact studies that happened a few years back. Um, typically, the federal government didn't, didn't, didn't give a whole lot of money um, out for that kind of research and things like that. So that started happening, you know, really, really quick. And uh, I was very excited by that. Um, and so what happened was I kind of just trusted that I'd get kind of uh, good information from these ventilation impact studies. And, you know, Trevor, you probably remember this conversation. Uh, we were teaching out in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and uh, some very well-respectable people in the fire service teach all over the country. I'm not going to say their names because <laughs> I'm getting ready to get in trouble here. Um, but they, they talked about it. I said, hey, man, uh, question that science a little bit. You know, take a look at it a little bit closer. And I did, and I was kind of uh, shocked by some of the things that were happening because, you know, as a very scientific guy, um, there's a lot of things that has to happen when you do a, an experiment. Um, and I'm going to kind of break this down to what the, the basement fires are. But one of the things you want to do is you want to you want to create um, uh, repeatability. So you want to see that when you do something, when something happens in a fire. If you light a sofa and this and that in a, in, a, in a basement and you open up this window, you want to see a repeatability in that task. You want to see that you get the same, you know, you get the same BTUs, or you get the same megawatts, or you get the same whatever, whatever method you're testing kind of, it has to be repeatable. So um, in reference to the basement fires, um, that's where this all came up was, I think, I think Ben had talked about that they had a new study out for basement fires and we wanted to talk about it. And, and I kind of went through it. And, uh, once again, I am kind of disappointed in the way they approach the science of a basement fire and, and they're welcome to come on our show and, and talk about these things. Um, you know, so they, they can come here anytime they want. I'm sure they can call Ben or Trevor and, and we'll have you guys on, but they do a lot of things. That, that don't make any sense to me. So when they were testing for the basement fire, the emphasis was on exterior fire attack, which they call transitional fire attack, which is application of, of hose stream from the exterior of a building to soften the target or make it easier for the advance or those types of things, which I'm a fan of that. I, I don't, I'm not against that, that particular uh, concept. Um, however, it feels like they're really harping on that's the way to do it. And, and some of the problems with that is like if, if it's so unstable to be on the first floor on a basement fire, then you have to ask yourself in a, in a fire department, what happens to search and rescue? 
you know, if it's not safe for an engine company to be above this fire, then why would we send a truck company in there? So there's a lot of dominoes that goes on to when we talk about transitional fire attack um, that, that, that bother me. Because to me, the most important thing is to get the eight-year-old in flannel pajamas out before that floor collapses, before something catastrophic happens. And for that, we just have to take a risk. That's just what we signed up for. That's what we do um, and things like that. So when we kind of get really ultra focused or tunnel visioned on an engine company operation, let's just say, um, then we start thinking about, well, it's not really safe to go because we don't know if it's below them. The heat's going to rise above. Um, they have horrible parallel truss cord construction they're putting in these places. It collapses without warning. There's all kinds of red flags that go up for us not to do that. But the question is, if we don't do that, then what happens to that first new truck that's looking for the victims inside there and things like that? So that being said, I'm going to just take experiment four of the um, basement fire um, study, and I'm just going to tear it up. I'm just going to talk about it. Um, it's a really hard to see, but I'll tell you what it says. And I'm going to read you what they, what they tested. So they lit a fire in a basement. Okay, and so what they did was to suppress the fire, five different nozzle and stream combinations were used through a hole punched through the floor just inside the front door. Okay, and it goes on past that. So what I want to tell you about that is five different things were tried on a fire, the same fire. So how you can quantify data from thermocouples and things like that is beyond me because it's not repeatable because to be repeatable would mean that we would do this different comment one two three four five there's six different combinations so to do six different combinations to be repeatable we'd have to switch the order of how they go because as we introduce water into a fire compartment as we all know we change temperatures we change humidity content we change fire dynamics so in this particular test in number four they tested a straight stream first for 21 seconds. Then they tested a 150 gallon per minute piercing nozzle for 38 seconds, or almost double that. Then they tested a 125 gallon per minute piercing nozzle for 89 seconds. Then they tested a cellar nozzle at 94 seconds, um, and, and, and the list goes on. So listen, what are we gaining out of that with thermocouples? Well, I don't know. Because when you're applying water like that, what we needed was a test on what would the straight string do? What would the piercing nozzle do? And the other thing that was very absent in this test was interior fire attack. Um, the only thing they tested was a nozzle at the top of the stairs to see what effect it had on the, uh, the fire compartment below. But there's no interior fire attack. And I think one thing we learned from all the, the uh, nozzle and the uh, hose impact study strength and things was that the best way to get the most coverage is to get the nozzle in a place where you can hit everything. So um, I think that we have to lean on the big urban departments like Baltimore City, uh, D.C., New York City, um, things like that, uh, Detroit. There's places that are running a lot of basement fires and talk about what actually works best for them. But also, I don't like the idea of that many people getting killed in these fires. 
So we cer certainly, I think, I do believe we should be looking for other access to the, get these fires out. Um, but I, I want to know what you guys think about it because that's, from a scientific standpoint, that's very, very concerning to me to have one fire tested um, by five different methods on the same fire, which means that each different method would have a completely different fire dynamics. And um, that is just, in my mind, not the way to test these things. And um, so I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts about what I'm thinking about. I mean, as I, I read through the whole study, I think it's 300 pages or something like that, if I remember right, something like that. Um, and I read through the whole study, but this one was glaring to me. Why would we do this? And, um, you know, it, it's, it's um, I guess the last thing I'll say is it harkens to the attic fire argument that was made by the UL, where you could just pull the little soffit down and flow up into the eaves and put the fire out. You remember that, Trevor? I, I do, and I'll, I'll get on my soapbox about that in a second. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. So, so that's great if it's a one-story house. But how do you pull that soffit when it's a two-story house? Do you wait? Do you have nobody go inside the house? Do you have because if it's not safe for the engine crew to go inside of a dwelling, then it's damn sure ain't safe for a truck crew. So are we stopping the entire operation to find a safe way to apply water before we go on? And I think we all know the answer is no, we're not. We're gonna to continue to go. So in my mind, in the most basic form. I believe, and I still believe this, you get a line in between the fire and the victims and the search members as fast as you possibly can, and that makes the best possible outcome. Um, that's just my, my opinion about this whole thing is um, we get inside, we separate the fire, we protect the stairs for the truck crew upstairs, uh, those types of things. And I think all these things are kind of not taking into account what's actually happening on a fire ground, you know, when you're applying uh, water from the exterior. and and the thing about the eaves and the attic fires is, yeah, it would be great if you had a new construction house with that really soft vinyl. You could pull it down really easy if it was a one-story house. You know, but the reality is most of the ones I get, you've got freaking wood hammered underneath of it. It's not easy to get to. A lot of our, our places here are on, on stilts, so you can't get to them without a ladder. Are you going to wait for a ladder to be thrown up there to pull this soffit down to make this, this great magical fire attack? And uh, it's just very frustrating to me because I think we're getting separated. I think the science just needs to tell us what happens inside of a building on fire. And I think we need to let fire departments and fire training centers and people figure out what the tactics are based on that. that that's my soapbox. I'm done. <laughs> well, Bobby, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that's I'm going to pick up where you left off. Um, I think the same thing. I, I have a lot of respect for the scientific method. And I understand that there's only so many things that you can replicate in a testing scenario um, you can get it fairly accurate, but it's still you, you don't have the wind driven issues. You don't have the environmental conditions, a lot of things that normally exist. So to that end, um, I lost a lot of faith and confidence, especially during that one ventilation study where in the very corner, I think it was like at a minute, 42 seconds. I don't know why that sticks in my head. You saw somebody pop a roof hatch to get the desired results. And I agree with you that the the companies or the individuals who are studying this need to present the data to the fire service and let us digest it and figure out how it works. Herein lies the problem. And I, I know I'm going to, you know, tick some people off when I say this, sometimes people in the administrative uh, factions of the fire service are inherently lazy. They want a quick fix, something that they can cut paste and put their logo on to say, this is our policy and procedure. 
We saw it with PPV fans when they first came out. We saw it with the, uh, you know, hit it hard from the yard, all that stuff. When I first came to the fire service, we had four modes of attack. You know, offensive, 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 defensive, defensive, offensive, and defensive, defensive. Nothing's really changed with that. Uh, Mike, there's a great video. You've probably seen it. It's probably from the mid to late 1980s um, when you guys still had white fire trucks with orange stripes. Um, And it was uh, Hayward Avenue fire. And, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, it was kind of semi-documentary style. But you're watching these guys. They had you know, fire. It looked like on the first floor, maybe something below. They took out the big bay window on the front, gave it a quick knock because you know, that's whether that was a, a tactical decision or a SOP, whatever the case was. Gave it a quick knock, forced the front door, went in, and then they are chasing it in an old like uh, cut up Victorian balloon frame in, in this thing, as far as I remember. So, with that being said. Um, Bobby, you're you're again the anomaly where people don't put the sweat equity into it, and we saw the exact same thing when all of this first came out, because instead of teaching fire behavior not only to our firefighters but to our company level officers to make good tactical decisions, and we don't have a crystal ball in that right front seat yet, um, you know I look at like these fires almost like a vent under search. You know, if if there's no survivability in that sub level in that basement, we got to get that line like you said in the front door and cut it off from going upstairs or be able to isolate it, whether it's through suppression or shutting a door, which most of those doors are not rated. You know, they're not fire rated doors per se. It's not like a, a two hour metal door that's between the basement and the upstairs. So I think that, um, you know, going back on my soapbox again, when we look at our basic fire service training and in the, in the standards that are out there, we get three hours, three, of fire behavior in firefighter one. And part of that is we take you in the, in the burn building, the fire behavior lab, which that's what it is, is a controlled environment. And we show you the different stages of fire, how it burns, how we put it out, you know, keeping the, uh, you know, keeping the layering and making sure we have the stratification in there. All that's great. And then we tell you to stand up and go, wow, it's hot up there, isn't it? Okay. How is it down there? Okay. It's a little bit cooler. And unless you go and seek more fire behavior knowledge and training, that's your basis. A lot of a lot of people default back to that, and it's it's not adequate. So, again, Bobby, you, know, you put the equity, the sweat equity into it to research these things, look at the numbers, and then also challenge them. Not because you're you're not trying to be an ass, but you're trying to say, well, hold on a minute, help me to understand this. And then when someone says, well, that's just the way it is. That's that's not a good answer. That's like telling your kid, well, I'm your dad. That's because I said so. Doesn't flush with us. So you, know, I think when we look at some of these studies. Um, I would agree that maybe they need to present the data and stay out of strategy and tactics because that's where I, I think a lot of things went afoul is when they started recommending, well, this is what you should do on the fire ground, not this is how the fire propagation is. This is what we found during our studies, and we could replicate it X out of so many times. Instead of giving that to us and letting us digest it, we were kind of force fed, well, these, these are the tactics you should use. And you know, I, I know and respect some of these people, but I just think from a tactical standpoint, that's something that needs to be developed in the in the individual departments or they can hand it off like a baton and say, here, take the information that we've gleaned from our studies and let's develop it further and and then get other groups to develop the strategy and tactics that we might recommend. But I think coming from it's like the fox guarding the hen house to some degree, and I don't mean that to be um 
you know, disrespectful in any way, but sometimes I think that, you know, if I want a certain thing to occur, I can, I can drive that data to wherever I want it to, to get the desired outcome. And I don't think that's the appropriate thing to do when we're talking about fire tactics. There ends my sermon. All right, Mike, let's hear what you guys think. Uh, I, I don't buy into all that at all. And, um, if it offends anybody, then it is what it is. Um, a lot of that is just driven towards job justification, and that's all that it is. So you, you're not going to be able to duplicate the things that happen in basement fires because you are not going to be able to light fires in every type of construction uh, into the basement, and you're not going to be able to replicate what's going on inside the dwelling. So what I mean by that is is that what's going to happen in a ramp with a basement fire uh, is – going to be subject to so many different types of uh, nuances that you're just not going to keep up with it. So are, you know, are we dealing with a compartmentalized basement or are, is it gas fed? Um, you know, uh, is, is the doorway to the basement left open on the interior uh, where their windows open, yada, yada, yada. And on down the line we go. And when you talk about multi-story dwellings, uh, all that plays such a big part, you know, it, if it starts in the basement, did it auto expose in the rear? And all of a sudden it's blowing out of the third floor alpha side window because numerous compartments were left open on the interior of the home and numerous windows were left open. So it, trying to duplicate something such as a basement fire is going to be very difficult. So I have a very hard time leaning on that. And, and much uh, to what you just said, Trevor, I think is, is what needs to uh, take the forefront is that departments and, have to make their tactics based on their jurisdiction, based on the occupancies that they're going into, the construction of them. And that's where all this evolves from. Uh, there is nothing that you can throw down to uh, blanket this type of fire and, and make it make it okay. It, it's just something that gets developed, I think, with each department. And then I'll give you a prime example of that. Is, uh, Mifri teaches that if you're going downstairs into a basement, that you essentially go down like you're going down a ladder. Um, I would challenge anyone, and again, I'm going to lean on one of the best pipe men that I know in, in the city of Baltimore, a, a gentleman that puts out fires on a daily basis when he's working, sometimes up to three a day. And many of those end up being basement fires. And I'll tell you that um, you don't go down basement steps like a ladder. That doesn't happen. Uh, you're setting yourself up for, uh, for a surefire way to, and no pun intended, uh, a surefire way to, to, uh, to meet your maker. Um, you know, the, the tactics and strategies in dealing with these uh, vary from the engine officer all the way to the pipe man. And then, of course, for your for your truck company operators, you know, if it's a multi-story home, you're dumping into windows via ground ladders. And, you know, you're going to the second and third floors and uh, maybe even the aerials if you got to hit these bigger brownstone buildings that you see in some of these metropolitan areas. So, <clears throat> you know, you're dumping into windows and your tactics for searching uh, correlate to, to what you could possibly be dealing with if it is a basement fire. We know the chimney effect. We know that that's happened in interior staircases. We know that the very first priority of us dumping into an upper floor is to locate you know, the door to that compartment so that we can isolate ourselves and then progress as needed. So uh, the, you know, the tactics that evolve through it uh, evolve and are developed due to your jurisdiction and, and those occupancy needs. So you know, there's a lot of little nuances that go with each discipline. And you can even break that down to each seat 
uh, on the rigs. Uh, you know, your pipe man has his own tactics in dealing with that basement fire. Uh, and if he's attacking it from the interior, then he knows that um, there are certain uh, beneficial ways to go down those steps that a book might not tell you. Uh, he knows to have a little bit of line out ahead of him as he as he descends those steps. He wants to have two feet of his line out in front of him. He wants he doesn't want it on a wide fog that is not going to be beneficial for him. Um, you know, he wants a lot of that line staged past that basement door. You don't want that line just coming in the front door and going right to the basement door. You need to gather that line and you need to move that line either down the hall beside you or uh, uh, or stage it in the front room near you because the last thing you want to do is start down those basement steps and get hung up midway down um, because you're essentially in a real basement fire. You're uh, making almost a dive to get down into the basement and get started because you have to you have to surpass that thermal plane. So um, it, it, this is why true basement fires incur a lot of uh, a lot of injuries because a lot of pipe men get burned in a true basement fire. You have to cross that thermal plane and you have to do so in a manner that makes sense. Not and that not necessarily is, is what a book says. Um, so there's a lot of little uh, little tactics to go with that. And um, and then when we do incur these problems because of compartmentalized basements, you get guys that set up on top of the steps right at the basement door and they're, you know, they're shooting water down into it, but the basement's compartmentalized and they don't know that from where their standpoint is. So you're essentially doing nothing and the fire's still raging underneath you, whether it's towards the alpha side or towards the Charlie side, um, it, it could be uh, be a death sentence for you. So, you know, and that uh, obviously that's uh, some of that is a task of writ to set up strategically and be prepared for that situation. And they, they do that the same way through their size up. And uh, I, I, you know, I heard the mention, I think from, uh, from, from you, Trevor, uh, you know, that RIT team should be softening that building, um, softening the target, so to speak, making sure that, uh, and, and that goes along with your first arriving truck too, but removing any type of security devices that might be on basement window, uh, storm doors that could be, uh, in the rear or removing Bilco doors completely so that they're off their hinge and you have direct access. You know, all these things are need to be occurring and they need to be occurring throughout each discipline, the truck, the engine and, uh, and the RIT crew. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot, it's, it's, it's a chess match. It's not a checkers fire. Not that you can say any fire is, but a room and content, so to speak, would be a checkers fire. A basement fire is, is definitely a chess game. But it's a chess game done at a very high speed because of the time sensitivity. All right, who wants to follow that up? <laughs> um, that was great stuff, Mike. Um, yeah, you know, th thanks. Thanks for leaving us something to talk about now, Mike. Appreciate that. Yeah, Mike. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Good job. I, I think you know we definitely need to think about, you know, who's working above the fire and who's working at the fire floor. But I always try to think about it in a different way. Who are the victims above the fire? Um, because that's really why we're there. Um, truthfully, why we're there is because the, the kids that couldn't get out, the adults that couldn't get out, you know, those types of things. 
And so when we're looking at all these things, I find a uh, over-reliance on, I don't want to say this because I don't ever want a firefighter injured or killed, but we get an over-reliance on safety for ourselves that doesn't really account for the victims or the, ser- the public that we're serving. And I think we just need to think about, you know, when you're talking about these really dangerous and complex fires, you know, how do we do better at a dangerous or complex fire? And I can tell you it's not by call, it's not by pause, it's not by hesitation, it's by training. You train specifically for those most difficult fires and you practice it and you train it and you practice it and you train it. And then when the, the things start to happen, then that's you're gonna fall to your level of training. Um, unlike the movies, nobody's stepping up to kill all the terrorists on the airplane. Um, we're going to fall to our level of training. And I, so I think that, that how we train and how we prepare for all these fires in whatever jurisdiction we're in and whatever occupancies we're going to um, is critical to this because we're relying on experience to train us. Then what I'll ask everyone that relies on experience to train us is whose places do you burn down and what kids do you lose to gain that experience? And I, that's not acceptable. We have to train to get the kid out on your first fire. We have to train to get the fire out on your first fire, you know. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to be great at it. It doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean we don't need officers or senior people there. Um, but I think that all these fires require us to train for these difficult situations, not ignore them, and try to put in safety standards that keep us out of those troubles because as soon as I, in my opinion, as soon as you start doing that, then you start writing off the victims and writing off the citizens that were, were sworn to serve. So that's kind of my thought process about that. Um, there, so I followed you up, Mike. <laughs> Best I could do. <laughs> Did well. Good job, Bobby. Way, way, to, way to pull it out there because, yeah, Mike's kind of a tough act to follow. It was you know? tough. It was. It was. Oh, no, it is. I mean, you know, that that whole, that whole checkers and chess thing, I'm like, oh, man, that's some that's yeah. some deep stuff right there. And it's like, wow. You know, I had to sit back for a minute and absorb all that. It's like, how in the hell do you follow that? That's but Well, anyway, I'm horrible at chess, too, so it didn't help any. <laughs> I, I, can, I can barely spell chess. Well, Ben, we haven't heard a lot from you tonight because I, I know, uh, you know, Salisbury, you have the experience of uh, like a lot of folks down there where you are career in one place and you also volunteer your time in another. And, um, you know, you as a, a company, a company level officer and a step up, uh, you know, chief officer of battalion, um, you have more probably prevalence of basements and sub levels in Salisbury. So. Do you do you do all do any specific training for that, or have any specific SOPs, or is that something that's kind of in development as you have the experiences? Uh, it's it's something that we're in development as we like you said as we have those experiences. Um, I know the fire chief uh, Chief Tall has mentioned a couple times that he would like to see our policies and procedures and guidelines uh, go in a direction where we have one specific for uh, residential fires, commercial fires, high rise multifamily, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm positive that basement fires would, would show up on there um, as, as something that he would like to see. And it's just something that we haven't, um, as the SOP committee, we haven't addressed yet. Um, so, um, like I said, I'm sure that's something that, that will be coming. He, 
him being the fire chief, he gets what he wants. Um, and the fact that, you know, it's something that um, I think is beneficial, um, you know, something that we'll probably, that we'll probably work on. Um, I, I will say that, you know, just sitting back and enjoying the conversation between you guys and really taking a lot of that in, um, there's a lot of really good information uh, that you guys have passed around. And, um, you know, just to, to have my picture up in a corner, you know, is kind of been, has, has been nice just to, again, be a part of this and, and to listen and take that, all that, all of that in. Cause you know, the junior man on the show, um, you know, I really do appreciate that. Um, I did take some notes on some stuff that, you know, as, as we were going through this and this will be, um, part of my wrap up is, you know, some things that kind of, um, were consistent throughout and what everybody was saying is you, know, you got to know your district, got to know your building construction. You know, I know that when they dispatch, you know, a, a call on my street and not necessarily my street, but I know the, I know the area, I know it's residential. I know they're single family dwellings. I know they're built in the late sixties. Um, so there's a chance that, you know, I, I know the building construction of where we're going. Um, so knowing your district is huge. We talked about, um, walkout basements, walk-up basements, uh, Bilco doors, all that kind of stuff. And if you don't know what that is, you have to look it up. Like you have to take that onus and say, holy shit, I don't know that. I should probably figure that out. Um, you know, Trevor, you were talking earlier about there's three hours of fire behavior in Firefighter 1. I think the, the most recent Fire 1 class that came out, there's now six hours of building construction, um, which, again, is like, that's great. It's more than what it was, but it's still not adequate for what we are expected to do. Um, and, you know, again, we expect people once they finish that that fire one class that you, know, you could you could be the third person and be on the nozzle for a basement fire the next day. You know, are you ready for that? I can tell you I wasn't. Um, so, you know, invest in yourself and make yourself better. Um, and that when you do that. Uh, Bobby is a, is a perfect example. He talks about this quite a bit, you know, investing in yourself. You, you also bring other people with you. Um, we've all mentioned Doug Scott a lot throughout our show that him bringing us to training events and him, you know, just knowing him working with him uh, has made us better. I'm going to rope Mike into that. Um, you know, working with Mike and the, the last couple of trainings that we've done uh, in ocean city have been phenomenal. And, you know, it's already like opening my eyes to how much more that, that we need to be doing. Um, so make yourself better. The, um, you know, again, some of the other key points was a good size up, a good BIR, you know, go with, you know, make sure you know what you're doing. If you're going to be riding that seat, make sure you're competent and you're proficient with what you're doing there. Um, so again, that first arriving unit, you're setting the tone for the rest of the rest of the ball game. You're setting the board for that chess match. So again, you pull up and you're like, well, shit, I don't know if we got a basement. Well, did you walk all the way around the building? Did you look? Did you check? You know, do that. Do the right thing um, and make yourself, make the incident be successful. Um, hey, hey, Ben. Yeah. One, one thing real quick, if you don't mind, um, I want to throw this to Mike real quick, so I know we only have a few minutes left. But one of the things we were talking about pre-show was, uh, you know, some of the Baltimore city tactics, especially in row homes where the, uh, you know, the first in truck would go, uh, you know, in and down. They had, I think that's what you said, or what was, uh, the first in truck went in and up and then the re the truck in the rear second do went in and down. Um, one of the challenges that we've had locally where I am right now is 
we've had to really switch from a you know first second third do engine first second third do truck to a priority based system because people are so often uh, out of sequence that you know the third do truck might have to take the uh, job of the second do truck because they arrived in a different order and um, so you know from that perspective uh, you know if you don't mind real quick just kind of talk about a little bit about those tactics and then one of the things that you had mentioned also Mike was you know knowing your buildings, knowing your building construction, and just to tag on to that a little bit is also look into the era in which those buildings were built. Um, you know, you mentioned balloon frame construction, you know, very, very, very true. You got, you got a fire in the basement. You better be getting line to the attic cause it's going there. But some of the places in the mid Atlantic, um, you know, especially in some of the Southern States, you had a lot of dumbwaiter systems that came up from the basement to upper floors. That's just a hidden chimney that you don't even know exists. So you know, I think you know, going back and looking at some of the history of your building construction, the era in which things were built. Um, yeah, I've mentioned this before when you know, Donald Fisher was still um, living. He you know, he sit down on the bench at Station Two down there, Dorchester Street, and school you about all the old buildings because things that happened back in the '40s and '50s that you weren't even a thought um, when those things were going on. He could tell you where there was just you know hidden void spaces, a lot of stuff. So. Mike, if you don't mind, uh, for a couple quick seconds, could you talk a little bit about that that tactic of the first do and second do truck, and why you put somebody or a crew, um, you know, in and in and up and in and down, depending on whether they're first or second do. Yeah, so you know, on your multi-story buildings, whether it's a row home, whether it's a single-family home, it's important to cover all your bases. So your first arriving truck uh, usually has the front, of course. And they are tasked with making sure that those upper floors are searched for victims. So uh, always in Baltimore, our first arriving truck that is in the front, the officer has the responsibility of making sure that that front door is open for our engine company. So he takes his forcible entry tools and he, uh, of course, sizes up that door, takes the tools that he thinks he's going to need. It's not always a set of irons. you know, we, we, we plan accordingly. So he might take more tools than necessary uh, and, and just stage them at the front, but he makes sure that he can get that door open. So his responsibility then is to get that engine company cleared. And if he can locate that fire, if it is on the first floor, then he does so. Now, the rest of the crew uh, are tasked with taking care of those upper floors. And normally, if, uh, if the conditions allow, that's going to be done via ground ladder. So they're going to be going uh, up, you know, a 24 and a 35 foot to get to the, the second and third floor, and maybe even an aerial if there's a floor above that our ground ladders can't reach. So that's occurring in the front of the building. And we're dumping, you know, we're dumping individuals into those places uh, to commit themselves to a search. And, uh, and of course, their search tactics uh, need to be appropriate for, for that situation. So uh, in the rear, what's happening is much the same. It's just the responsibilities are a little bit different. So you still have your ground ladders being thrown in the rear. Uh, if there is confirmation of people trapped inside, then you might have uh, the, the probability of those guys actually ascending those ladders and gaining entry into those windows is probable uh, because they, we are, we're putting a concerted effort together to get uh, into those upper floors, knowing that that's where the majority of our bedrooms are. And of course, this is a time since, uh, I say time sensitive, this is relevant to the time of day rather. Um, and of course, time sensitive uh, as well because it's a basement fire. But uh, so your officer in the rear is also gaining entry, much like your officer on Alpha side. So he gains entry in the rear, whether that's a basement door or whether that's just 
a rear door. He would gain entry to both of those uh, if if uh, if they were uh, in his forefront. And then we commit a man to the basement right away. Uh, that's obviously to search the basement to make sure that there is no fire uh, and to make sure that there's no victims. But it's also to make sure that we take care of utilities because uh, that's where normally our gas, our electric, uh, and our water is, and we want those off. Um, and that now that doesn't mean that you might not find some of that up on the first floor, and you commonly do. Um, and if we can't find all the utilities, then that individual would uh, try to locate them on the next floor above. Um, you know, most likely that's going to be your electric panel. But uh, all that is being done just to try to bring that uh, that beautiful dance together so that it it uh, everything falls into place accordingly. Um, and all the tactics uh, go along with it, uh, even down to our RIT team, uh, the way that they're staging uh, for a known basement fire and things like that. So it, it all it, it all is a, is a beautiful uh, orchestra when it works that way. Unfortunately, basement fires never work that way. Um, I've been a part of numerous basement fires, and I've been a part of three that, in, that incurred a mayday. Uh, one of them, I called the mayday for my crew uh, because what we do have a lot of times is uh, if with a basement fire has not been identified, then you have horizontal ventilation that's taken place or auto exposure that's taken place, and that has changed the dynamic of the game right away. Uh, and we know that because of the chimney effect and all that particulate and heat that's building up above the basement um, is allowing, uh, it, you know, any type of uh, change in that compartment um, to potentially cause a flash uh, or to ignite. So, um, you know, in, in a lot of those cases or in the one that I called it was for my crew and they were in that situation and horizontal ventilation played a part in that. So did auto exposure uh, in another one. It was uh, the pipe man who ended up um, falling into the basement, but he had the uh, wherewithal before he walked through the front door. He did see some fire in the basement. He uh, essentially threw, threw some water down there from the exterior basement window, then made entry, uh, fell through the floor near the staircase. But um, his tactics to uh, carry the pipe and to descend those basement steps as he fell through were such that it put him in a good position. Uh, he could not get out. We, uh, myself and my lieutenant, were able to get to him through a rear, um, rear entry. But um, you know, he was able to put the majority of the fire out as he fell into it because of his good habits for descending staircases in the basements. You know, using that nozzle. So uh, all these things play a big part. And um, and uh, you know, the the last one actually uh, incurred a line of duty death, but that was. Uh, after the fact, unfortunately, uh, you know, he was not found until a little while later. But um, basements are deadly. And we know that from statistics. Uh, and to think that we can just somehow um, blanket the uh, the strategy and tactics to fight them is, is uh, ridiculous in, in itself. But um, good habits, good fundamentals as it pertains to basement fires is going to keep us alive. Um, while we, while we battle them. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Um, so we're, we're right at that hour. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, Bobby, you want to give us kind of your closing thoughts? 
Well, sure. Uh, thank you, Mike, so much for coming again and uh, sharing your uh, <laughs> uh, great wisdom. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, some of the take home messages that, that we want to get across to people is sounding floors is important. Uh, reading buildings is important. 360s are important. Um, everything you can do to cheat that fire to figure out what's going on before you get into it is, is I think a really good idea. Um, I personally want to thank Mike. Uh, he's been helping us out with doing some training in ocean city, um, as of late. And, uh, it was, I think maybe it was last summer, Mike, I can't remember exactly when it was, uh, Mike and I got together and we did a, uh, through the floor firefighter rescue training thing that we did for all of our shifts, um, and the volunteers, uh, here in ocean city. And, um, and, and, and that went well for us. Uh, we don't think people really all remembered what we talked about or showed them. However, um, we just had a really devastating uh, line of duty death in, in Frederick, Maryland, uh, that some of you may have heard of. Uh, and, and, and the guy went through the floor. And it was really kind of specific to the training that Mike and I were talking about. Um, so this month, Ocean City, once again, Mike has created a very, very realistic scenario of a firefighter through the floor with realistic uh, uh, the width of the uh, rafters and, and, and no visibility and things like that. And uh, for that, I thank you, Mike, because those, those things can certainly uh, uh, save a life uh, for us in the future. Um, and that's the things that we all have to do is kind of see these horrible events happen across the country um, and look at them and say, hey, can that happen in our jurisdiction if it can let's get together and train on let's let's develop a plan for how we're going to get people out um you know and i i do know someone that died in a basement fire and and um it's horrible and i and i think that maybe some of the things that that mike and i that mike's been showing us is probably would have helped out in that situation so um you know this has uh, been a great conversation it's been a lot of fun i really do believe in fire science and i do believe in fire research but i think it has a place and it has a lane and I think that lane is to give us the information and let the people that are out here doing this job and are responsible for the tactics and strategies to make those decisions on how you interpret that data would be a much better place for us to be. Thanks, Bobby. Trevor? Yeah, um, absolutely. I couldn't concur with Bobby uh, anymore. Um, that's you know, absolutely correct in my mind as well is that there's a there's a role and function of the research and development and the scientific process and it's it's really a system-wide uh, process as far as i'm concerned and I've, I've used this analogy before where you know if you look at the the picture of the titanic sinking by the bow and there's a little dude on the stern going wow i'm glad the hole's not in our end that's a very limited mindset and i think we need to look at everything system-wide that, okay, we can get some decent data out of some of these studies, but the worth and value of that is in a box. It's, it's somewhat limited, and we have to understand what, what the limitations and capabilities of that data is or are. Um, and then you'll be able to have people like Bobby and Mike that um, are able to not only interpret that data, but also be able to use it and take it to that next level. And uh, you know, again, going back a little bit to our, you know, our fire behavior education, you know, I am glad and Bobby had mentioned this several podcasts ago or webcasts ago that there has been an increase in fire behavior education. And Ben, you have brought that up as well in our basic training. 
Um, but that definitely needs to go, you know, quite a bit further. And, you know, I, I still look at what we at what we do is very, very important, not only for the you know, preservation of property, but like Bobby mentions all the time, it's that survivability profile that, you know, that three, six, four, eight year old kid in the flannel pajamas at the end of the hallway. What are we doing to make sure things are, are better for that individual in, in their time of need? So, you know, I, I look at uh, you know, some of the things that we go through from a policy and procedure standpoint. And quite honestly, I feel that more often than not, we don't dig the wisdom out of the trenches that we, we over-legislate things because it sounds good or it looks like a really well-written SOP to keep our asses out of the sling um, if something does go wrong. But to that end, um, I, I'm a firm believer in training not just to success, but training to failure. And I know that you all feel the same way. And people look at failure as a bad word, but more often than not, things don't go well on the fire ground than they do go well. So how do we recover from that? How do we adjust or do we throw our hands up in the air and go, well, the SOP said this should have happened. Well, guess what, sunshine? It didn't freaking happen. Now you're in charge. Make it happen. So you know, we've got to be able to train to failure. Um, going back, and I'll paraphrase Bobby, if, if you look at SEAL Team 6, when they went after bin Laden, that plan did not go as written, you know helicopter crash, but they had the Fido attitude, like, forget it, drive on. And they were able to adjust and it was still a successful mission. So I think that, you know, we in the fire service need to not kid ourselves and always train to success. We need to train to failure and the what if, the what if, the what if. We can't play that game all day long, but what we can do is be able to, you know, maybe not multitask, but multi-switch between different things to say, okay, plan A didn't work. I got to go to plan B. Okay. Plan B kind of sucks right now. Let me go to plan C. Well, yeah, parts of plan A were good. Be dynamic enough that you can keep forward momentum, regardless of you know, how fast or slow it might be. You're still gaining on the fire ground and you're not, uh, you're, you're not sacrificing not only your own personnel, but the people that you're there to serve. So I think if we go into things with that mindset that it's okay that when things don't go well, because, we have the ability to adjust. Um, I think we'd be better off from a, a overall training perspective. And you know, with that, I uh, you know, I want to thank uh, you know, Bobby, Ben, and Mike for you know your your input, your wisdom, your thought process, and just sharing these nuggets with the people who um, you know who tune tune in and want to try to get a little bit of uh, extra information. So you know, thanks again for you know sharing that amongst the brothers and sisters. Appreciate it. Mike, you have any final comments? I uh, just want to thank you guys for uh, for having me on. It's always a pleasure, and uh, I, I love being able to chat about all this stuff. And um, you know, just uh, I, I couldn't agree with uh, with you guys more on uh, on on the perspective of it. And uh, everything does have its place. And uh, you know, it, it, you can't drive home enough being prepared. And a, a lot of times, you know, we we seem to more often now put put a lot of that responsibility on uh, the apparatus, uh, new apparatus, new tools, uh, how well we look, how, you know, the rating on our turnout gear and how far we could quote unquote go. And, uh, you know, the, the real wealth is in um, kind of tuning uh, that tool that's between your ears. And, you know, I, I think, uh, I think the fire service could go a long way and, pushing more uh, along the lines of that style uh, of training versus what we've become accustomed to of just 
the glitz and glamour of things. So, uh, but that's, you know, that's a viewpoint coming from, uh, from, from the field. Um, and, uh, not the viewpoint of all, uh, but the, it definitely, uh, definitely has always been mine, but again, uh, great conversation. I really appreciate the invite and, um, I, I always look forward to it. it, it it's great talking shop uh, with a, you know, with a, with a well-knowledge base group of guys. So I appreciate it. Yeah. He's talking about you guys, Trevor and Bobby. I'm just here <laughs> to make the, the technology work. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just a show pony, Ben. That's right. That's right. Um, well, with that being said, thank you, Mike, for joining us. Uh, we're going to have to chat and figure out if we can, um, depending on your schedule, if there's something we can get you on here a little bit more frequently. Cause, um, I, I know we've kind of talked about it, Bobby Trevor and I about just the wealth of knowledge that you bring. Um, so, um, that's something we'll have to chat about it. Like I said, if you're interested, um, Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and maybe depending on our schedules, it's, it's the three of us, there's three of us that are pretty consistent. Um, you know, so that way we have a, a, a quality show each time. Yeah. Um, so in, in wrapping up, um, you know, one of the things I think we talked about here at the end was making our training realistic. Uh, I can tell you the training that we did last Tuesday uh, with Mike, uh, we had an acquired structure on 74th Street behind the firehouse in Ocean City. Um, incredibly realistic. We had heat, smoke. Um, you know, when we did the, the RIT and the Mayday exercise or evolution, um, you know, it definitely got your heart pumping got you thinking, got you sweating, got you, you know, really thinking about what you're going to do and what your next steps are. Um, so when you guys go to, when you go back to your department and go back to your station and you're going to do some sort of training exercise, um, make it realistic. You know, if you can, if you can make it hot, you can make it uh, smoky or obscure the visibility, you know, something that makes it, um, you know, like you're, like you're jumping off the fire engine to go do the job. Um, the better that you can do that, the more prepared your people are going to be. There's a time and a place for pulling hose and forcing entry and, you know, your helmet, your gloves and your coat. But there's also a time and a place when you're fully decked out, got all your PPE on your SCBA and you are doing it like you're like you're going like you're forcing the door of the gates of hell. So make sure it's realistic um, and, and, you know, prepare yourself for that. So um, just some other things real quick to talk about um, this email I got today. Um, it was, I thought it was kind of convenient how this happened. Um, there's a understanding and fighting basement fires, uh, free hands-on training December 8th in Fairfax, Virginia, hosted by the Fairfax County Fire Rescue. Um, if you guys are interested, reach out to us. I'll be more than happy to forward this email to you. Um, it, it is free. It does say at the bottom, you have to, there's a small uh, registration fee, uh, which is refunded upon your attendance. Um, so there are some prerequisites. Uh, for departments and, and attendance. But um, if you're interested, there's an opportunity. Um, in addition to that, uh, watch on social media, Delmarva Fire LLC. Um, they've got a conference coming in March, um, and they've reached out to Strike the Box Training to see if we can um, provide some instruction for that, which we're in, we're in the process of uh, finalizing that. Um, so that'll be looking at the other instructors that they have invited in that are coming. That's going to be a great opportunity. And then uh, the Pocomoke Volunteer Fire Company in Pocomoke, Maryland, also is, has started doing a South End Rescue Day. Um, and looking at some of the stuff on social media about that, that's going to be another excellent opportunity to get some hands-on training about vehicle and machinery extrication. 
Um, and I believe if you search Facebook for South End Rescue Day, um, that should, that that'll pop up um, and you can check that out. So um, give those places a, a, a look, um, you know, go out and find some training, do something to make yourself better because um, you can't train too much for a job that will kill you. Um, with that, I think that's it for the night. Trevor's rotating the pups, pups through the video. That's the new one. What's his name? Sorry, I had to unmute. This is uh, Arthur. He's he's Hank's buddy. So um, Arthur's a little bit shy right now, I guess. But yeah, this is um, you know, this is Arthur. He's like part something. I don't know. He's a sooner. He'll sooner shit in the floor than go outside. That's all I know about him. <laughs> so you named him after Arthur Ashley? He. No, but I tell you what, when we, I, I got to tell you, Bobby, when we were talking earlier, um, we were talking about we were talking about the rear door. All I could think of was uh, Buster Cooper when we were out there uh, yeah, in San Antonio. Got busted duck, you can do some duck hunting out there. That's the man. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, but Ray kept burning him up from the when we were back there sitting in his class. It was a great class, but it was just so funny because you know, of course, the ball, the subtle ball busting was going on. But great time. All right, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, Have a boys. great evening. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Stay safe.